Hey, we are on chapter nine. That's right, Byron, chapter nine. Does anybody know the title? It's the Spirit-Filled Life. And if you were here last week, we uh, cut to the chase by, so that we avoid the Christianese and we avoid misunderstanding. Let's just call it for what it is. Spirit-Filled is literally spirit control. Okay, as we saw there. And the reason why we need to do that, because typically, unfortunately, when it comes to the Holy Spirit and His ministry and the reason why we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who is God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, we get it wrong. And part of it is some of the verbiage that we use. And so when we say fill, we think of sometimes a cup, if you will, that's being filled with water. That's not what's going on there. The issue is control, the Spirit controlling you. So if you're a Spirit-filled Christian, because we're filled, if you will, with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, Okay, as we're going to continue to see, it's not so much that we need more of the Holy Spirit. We've got him. We got him in salvation. Praise God. He is our deposit, our guarantee of our inheritance, i.e. our heaven, uh, going to heaven. That uh, as we saw before, the Bible says that he is uh, the arobone. He's God's pledge, his promise, his engagement ring making sure, praise God, that we're going to get there uh, to heaven, okay? But he's also there to control us from the inside out so that that's how the Spirit of Jesus Christ begins to reflect through you and I. It's not you and I trying to act like Jesus. It's the Spirit of Jesus causing us to be like Jesus, okay? And we usually get it backwards. That's why we want to supplant again through our study tonight. When you see Spirit filled, supplant it, even scratch it out, do what you got to do, and put control because that's the issue that's going on here, control, okay? We left off last time at the bottom of page 99, 99, and the passage there, uh, he's going to quote, but I want to read, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is kind of where we left off there. If you find 3 Corinthians, what do you do? Throw it away, there you go, not in there. There you go, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, let's take a look at verse 14, continuing on through chapter 3, verse 3, okay? Take a look at the different kinds of, if you will, spiritual uh, people, okay, is the context here. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, the man without the spirit, now if you're without the spirit, what's that make you? A non-Christian. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we saw this on Sunday, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. Because you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. All right, so the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. You ever wonder why you, when, when you try to witness to a non-Christian, it's like, huh? What? They don't get it? They don't have the Spirit of God. Okay? So, and again, that is something to keep in mind when you're witnessing to somebody. When you witness somebody, don't go, I blew it, and go beat your head against the wall. Oh, I missed it. Understand your audience. They're not, don't expect them to, yes, wow, they understood what it meant to the fullness of the hypostatic union of the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. They understood the word sanctification. No, they're not going to know that stuff. That's Christianese. We don't even know that stuff. Okay, they don't understand spiritual things because they don't have the spirit of Jesus Christ. Let's continue on. That come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now, the spiritual man, the Christian, makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But guess what we got? We got the mind of Christ. Now, brothers, here's the problem, though. Here's the third category. He said, I could not address you as what? Spiritual, spiritual Christians. Well, why not? Well, first of all, I had to address you as worldly. Uh, what? Worldly? Christians can be worldly? Yeah, in fact, he says, not just worldly, you're being what? Babies, infants in Christ. Well, he says, and here's, here's how I know that you're still babies. I, I, I had to give you milk, even after all this time, Church of Corinth. How long have you been saved now? I could still only feed you milk, not even solid food. For you weren't ready for it. 
In fact, you're still not ready. Well, how do you know they're not ready? Well, look at their behavior. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Wow, interesting. He says, aren't you acting like mere men is the context there? And so that's what we're seeing here in the text there, 1 Corinthians at the bottom of page 99. Uh, we see three different types of men. Number one is the natural man, okay, or the non-Christian. But the natural man is the unsaved, unregenerate is your Christianese word there. And that's basically, remember we saw when you become regenerate, that's the Christian code word for being born again. Okay, when you're born again, okay, then you're indwelt, bang, with the Holy Spirit of God. You become regenerate, okay, is the Christianese there. Who is choosing to direct his own life, okay? This guy doesn't have the spirit of Christ. He's not a Christian. He's doing his own thing. He's on the throne, if you will. He's on the throne of his inner life, doing as he chooses and determining his own value system, okay? Now, again, you expect that from the non-Christian, right? And again, keep that in mind when you're witnessing or you're just in the world, but just not of it is the key. Don't expect the people around you to act like Christians. I mean, don't condone their behavior. I'm not saying condone their behavior. I'm not saying partake in their behavior. What do you expect? They don't know, okay? So we sit there and we get all the judgmental, like, oh, I can't believe. Okay, so understand your context. That's what he's saying. The second type of man, this is the ideal one, okay, that's pictured here is the spiritual man, is your next blank there. And as we've already discussed, he's able to uh, praise things accurately since he has the mind of Christ, i.e. the Spirit of God in us, illuminating the Word of God that we have before us. Christ reigns in his life and his attitudes and actions are empowered, guided and empowered by the Spirit of God. Now this is what's important about our exciting three uh, circles we've been working with for a while there. With your spirit, soul, and your body as a Christian, and your soul of course being your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, as we saw, born again in spirit, now uh, you've been made alive in Christ, okay? But you still have the old man, the old nature, okay, that's influenced not only from the flesh, the old you, okay, that you're not anymore, also this wicked world system, and also the enemy with spiritual warfare. So this is why there's a battle for us as Christians, because every day we get out of bed, our soul is being betwixt between two inputs. One, the spirit of God that's now alive because we're truly born again, that's why you want to read the Bible. That's why you have a desire to witness. That's why you desire to pray to God. That's why you come and hang out with godly fellowship because the Spirit of God is leading you in that. That wasn't there before, okay? You have a desire for that now. But you're also at the same time, everyday Christian, you're getting input from the old sin nature, okay? That's also influenced by this. Set all that to preface what he just stated. Christ reigns in his life and his attitudes and actions are guided and empowered by the Spirit of God. That's this sphere of influence right here. That's the ideal. Primarily, the Christian's life, Christian's thinking, Christian's mode of behavior is all around this arena, not this one, okay? That's the ideal. And when you live in this arena, the Spirit of God, your mind is on the things of God, you're, you're, you're consumed with the things of God, which these things help you to focus on God, Bible, witness, prayer, fellowship, etc., godly fellowship, okay? Then guess what? The Spirit, who's controlling you? Who's, who's influencing you? It's the spirit of God. It's the control. That's the spirit-filled life, if you will, to give you a visual. Now, here's the unfortunate one. The third type of man that's pictured here is the fleshly man. Now, here's what's tricky. He is a Christian, but he's chosen to still, like the non-Christian, run his own life. His ability to appraise his actions are not clearly discernible from the natural man, i.e., are you not walking like mere men? Can I translate that for you? You're acting like a non-Christian. That's what he's saying there. The key to developing into a spiritual man is being spirit-filled slash controlled. 
But if you're going to be spirit controlled, then this by and large is going to be your habit of life every moment of the day. And it takes time. It takes practice. Okay. And that's why Paul says in Galatians chapter five, that we need to walk, we need to live, and we need to keep in step with the spirit of God. That's that sphere. And when you do that, the spirit of God, you begin to experience those effects. In fact, let's turn there for reference, Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five, verse 16. Here's what he says. So I say, live by the spirit. Okay, look at this visual, spirit. See, that's a Christianese phrase. How do you do that? Ooh, I'm living by the spirit. No, let's visualize it. That's what it means. The input by and large of your day that's going to your brain, that's controlling your actions is the sphere. He says, I say, live by the spirit and you will not. Here's the great news. How many guys would love to sin less? Here's the way out, right? He says, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This guy down here, okay? And so he says, uh, and uh, for the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other. I just drew that out for you so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under a law. Now, how do you know if you're living under this sphere? Because I'm a spirit-controlled Christian. Why, I have the spirit of God in me. I am. Remember as we saw last week, we all know what true spirituality is. is you know, when you act and you do all those spiritual signs and things of that nature. Remember if you were here for that study? Okay, never mind. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> he says, how do you know though? Well, the proof's in the pudding. Uh, what's reflecting in your life? Okay, you can sit there and say you're spiritual all you want, but here's the key that you're living really by this one. Because anybody could put a good show on for an hour on Sundays. How's the rest of your week going? What kind of commercial are you giving to the rest of the world as you're supposed to be a spirit-controlled Christian? He said, well, here it is. Well, if your life is filled with sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, and I told you as it did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, i.e. you're acting like a non-Christian who's not going to heaven. And if you continually do that, as we saw even on Sunday, if you were here, if you live like that and sin doesn't bug you and there's no conflict and there's no, something's wrong. Do you have the spirit of God? Because if you have the spirit of God, you are in a battle. I'm not saying you become sinless, but sin bugs you now. It has to because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. He says, but here it is. But the fruit of the spirit, you live in this sphere. How many guys would like to have more of this? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against things, there is no law. And so this is the thing. It's like, oh, that's boring. How many times the enemy said something like this? Well, you know, if you really get serious about Jesus and, you know, being a Christian, you're going to miss out on so much in life. <laughs> Name one of those things you wouldn't want to have more of. Name one of those things that the world is trying to sell us and it doesn't work. You want more peace? Get more money. Does that work? You want more joy? Then take a vacation. Does that work? All right, John, you're messing up my point. You're messing up okay. Yeah, for, <laughs> after your feet get healed, then you're good to go, I hear. But, <laughs> but I digress. Uh, but that's what they say, right? It comes with a price tag. It's a counterfeit. It doesn't last. But the peace of God is something, if we can get that far, is something that's supernatural. 
This isn't just like, wow, I'm having a really good day. I'm full of joy. No, I'm talking joy in the midst of something absolutely egregious. One of the most amazing examples I saw was not that long ago when I was uh, uh, ministering with a family back in New York and their daughter, young daughter, uh, mid-20s, just died. And it was the wildest thing. I, I, I got to the, I got the phone call. They found her. She had, uh, had, had uh, a brain aneurysm, something died right there in the bathroom. And I got there before the police did and the rest of the family. It was just the father and her uh, brother that was there. I got there and uh, it was, I mean, it was like right there. And it was just like, whoa. And uh, so I watched the most amazing thing. I mean, here it is. Their, their daughter is, I mean, she's dead. And then here comes the rest of their family. To, and I, it was just like a light bulb all of a sudden went on. They actually... Their hearts completely went flipped and they, under the spirit of God, began to witness to every single one of their non-Christian family members. It was just like a, a valve shut off and it was like, we don't have time for grief. This is like, it, it just happened. It was only like five days later and they began to witness powerfully leading people to Christ. And it was like, that's the spirit of God. That's what I'm talking about. This isn't just like once in a while, hey, yeah, joy, that must have been God's spirit. I'm talking when there's no stinking way in man's abilities, God comes through. We'll get to that, Lord willing, maybe in a bit. Let's continue on. Uh, what does it mean to be spirit-filled? We saw this definition last time. With so much confusion in our day over what it means to be spirit-filled slash controlled, it's important for us to draw our definition from the scripture and not from experience, all right? So how does it happen? How do you define it? It's our text, Ephesians 5.18. Paul commanded the Ephesians, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or wastefulness, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so he's using a comparison here uh, to tell us, and it's a comparison between drunkenness and spirit filling, okay, is what he's going on here, and this is how we can get our accurate translation. This is not to deny, he says, there's a sharp contrast between these two states in the verse, but it is to say that the comparison is what gives us the clue to proper definition of filling of the Spirit, and the basic clue is the idea, and this is why I keep saying it, because I don't want you to get this far into the study and go, oh, that's what he's talking about. The blank there is this word, control. The basic idea of what it means to be a Spirit-filled Christian is not, again, getting more of the Holy Spirit. The issue is the Holy Spirit getting more of you. You getting out of the way. Yielding to his promptings, his obedience. Get out of the way. Become that vessel, as Paul says, Romans chapter 6. Be an instrument of righteousness, not wickedness. Every day you get out of bed, it's done by the power of the Spirit. Get out of the way. Let him do his thing. Okay? And it's an issue of control. Because you're going to be, as we saw before, you're going to be controlled by something or someone somewhere. Wouldn't you want it to be the Spirit of God? What's the payoff? We just read it, Galatians chapter 5. Anybody want more of that? Then learn what it means to be a spirit-controlled Christian. Walk in this sphere. Live in this sphere. Keep in step at that sphere. It's a military term we saw before, that when the Holy Spirit takes a step, if you will, you're right behind him. Okay? Doesn't work well here, but back on the East Coast, when it was two feet deep in snow, this is something that came in handy, is when somebody plowed through the two feet deep snow, okay, they took a step, what'd you do? Doing a whole new trail? No, if you're smart, you went right behind them and stepped where they stepped. That's what's used of the Spirit of God, okay? It's an issue of control. This is what we see in the comparison for both the drunk and the spiritual person. They are controlled, underline that word. Both of them are controlled people. One's controlled by the liquor he has consumed and the other by the Spirit whom he has received. Under the influence, is your next blank there, 
under the influence and control of liquor, a person acts and thinks in ways that are unnatural to him. Can anybody verify? Okay, right. Okay, similarly, when a Christian is controlled, in your next blank there, by the Spirit, he thinks and acts in ways that are unnatural to him. Okay, in a good sense though, this time. Okay, this is not to imply that his life is gonna be erratic or abnormal, but it is to say that he will not, underline that, not be living a life which is governed by that which is natural to him, i.e. this, which leads to debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, uh, dissensions, all the negative side that we saw there, okay? That's not how you're going to live. Now, let me give you just a quick couple examples of that. And um, one of them was um, uh, back in 1998, we bought a 1996 Ford Taurus. Okay, and it was one of those cool things that, you know, did you know that God's concerned about the car you buy and what you do with your finances, you know, stewardship and all that neat stuff? Yeah, so we prayed and says, God, would you please show us, you know, you hear those horror stories. Anybody here sell cars for a living? Praise God, I'm safe with this analogy. But anyway, so sometimes you go and get a car, right? And you're wondering, man, these guys are like vampires coming out. They can't even get two feet out of the car. It's like, come on, man, I know what you're up to. You know, just give me some space, you know? So we didn't want to go through that. We didn't get snookered or anything. And just, God, we just want to make a responsible decision. So we get out of this car, and this is in Sacramento. And we get out of the car, and here comes this guy. That's all, man, here comes a vampire guy, right? And so we get in there, and I just, I already had it scoped out, did my research. I says, we're interested in this vehicle here. And he says, oh, okay, okay, you want to take it for a drive? I said, sure. I kid you not, guys, it was the wildest thing. We get in that car. I didn't ask one question about that car. The whole time we in there, I started witnessing to the guy. Well, it turns out he's witnessing to me because he's a Christian. And what happened was we got to talking. So I shared my testimony. He shared his testimony. We drove around Sacramento for 45 minutes, didn't even ask a lick about the car. I said, okay, we'll take it. <laughs> so we took that as a sign from God. What are the odds of that? But anyway, one of the stories he showed me in that car when we were driving around Sacramento in his testimony was that his grandmother had prayed for him for years and years and years. And he got involved in drugs and selling drugs and all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, he went off to prison. Still wasn't saved. Wanted nothing to do with God. Well, his grandmother continued to pray uh, for him, and he got radically saved. Okay, and remember, my whole point is the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God causing you to do something supernatural. Not like, I refrain from telling that, that person at McDonald's that my french fries were really cold, and I just ate them and suffered. I'm talking something really supernatural from the Spirit of God. So anyway, so he's out there. He just became a Christian. Well, you become a Christian in prison, and it gets known uh, you're not very popular. In fact, a lot of people are out to get you. And he said he was out there in the yard one day, and he's a big guy. This guy's a big guy. Of course, everybody's concerned with me, but my vertically challenged height is big. But this guy was really big. He's probably six six, you know, big old guy, right? And so I'm going, uh, anyway, so he's out there on the yard, right? He said he's out there, just a big old guy, and uh, they had set him up there coming to get him. He says a guy came, ran all the way across the, the prison yard full force, and just, and he didn't like, he couldn't cushion, he didn't, it wasn't one of those punches in the head that you can cushion, brace yourself. Completely unexpected. Came and cold cocked him right across the face. He said, he went like this, like that, and then he turned around, big old guy, and he said, the Spirit of God had me go, Jesus loves you. Now that's the Spirit of God. That's not some natural thing that you can pull off in your own strength, because if it was us, what would we do? Unfortunately, the old smack him back uh, Greek translation comes in. Yeah, that's what would happen. And he said the guy freaked out ah, and took off. Interesting. Got all kinds of stories like that. But that's, that's what I'm talking about. The spirit-controlled life, guys. This isn't just some like, little add-on like, ooh, yay, that was kind of cool. I'm talking when you really need this God 
supernatural something, he's there. And you can experience that not just, here's my point, once in a blue moon, not when even when you unfortunately have been acting like this for a long time as a worldly Christian, and God's merciful, and he knows how much you're hurting or you're in a big giant mess, and he'll still control you at that moment by the Spirit of God. I'm talking on a regular basis. Wouldn't that be cool? You can. Read the Bible. That's what he's talking about. That's what I want. And it comes when you live in that sphere. That's what he's talking about. Uh, the word, he, thus the word, uh, to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. We use the word, uh, word filled in the same way today that when we say somebody's filled with anger or filled with passion, act again, Ruth, as we saw there. Okay, and again, filled, what, what's that mean? Uh, uh, just to belabor the point, it's like, uh, uh, oh man, I tell you what, it was so horrible. I was walking along, it was great. And, and I, I, I was walking underneath John's house and he's got one of those anger misters. And I walked underneath it and it got sprayed with anger and I was filled with anger and I got all mad and that's why I got. It's not something outside of you, it's something inside that controls you. And so is it going to be the old you influenced by the wicked world system controlling you from the inside out? Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, where's this junk come from? inside. That's what makes a man unclean, he says. Or is it the Spirit of God inside of you controlling you, okay? When should I be filled or controlled with the Spirit? From Paul's command to the believers in Ephesus, we can also answer the above question. To be filled, the verb implies action. To be filled is present passive in the Greek text, indicating continuous action. I thought this was kind of an interesting question, but as a teacher, I guess you got to sometimes belabor these points. You think, well, gee, when, is it only on Sundays? From 10.45 to noon, I need to be controlled with the Spirit of God? Please don't answer that in the wrong way. No, it's all the time. And that's exactly what the Greek, in case you need the Greek says, that's what we need to do. It's permissive passive in the Greek, and it can be more translated accurately, be allowing yourselves to be filled or controlled with the Spirit. It's a continual. So we should continually, the blank there, we should be continually be allowing ourselves to be filled with or controlled by the Spirit. And there's tons of references right there. But here's the sad news. Not all of us are directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have all of the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does not have all of us. You got it? Okay, the Spirit-filled, controlled life is the result of us allowing Christ to live his life through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.20, I'll just quote that. Paul says, it's no longer I that live, it's Christ that lives in me. It means that we allow the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and make it come alive in our lives as we move in obedience uh, in His direction, okay? So the issue is uh, we need to be continually filled uh, with the Spirit of God. And again, that's what's unfortunate is people are out there, they're saying that they're Christians, they may very well be Christians, but what's happening? Why are there so many bad commercials out there for Jesus? Because they're living by their flesh. That's right, Byron. You're just getting all the right answers tonight, aren't you? And I see you. You're getting tricky tonight. First it was there, it's over here. And I expect you over there in about five minutes. I know your tricks. But anyway, so uh, I can spot you. That nifty shirt pops out every time. But anyway, so... <laughs> so, but what's unfortunate is they're living by this sphere, okay? Why are... And I'm talking born-again Christians. Why do Christians struggle so much with sin, because you're not learning this. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you never were taught that. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe, unfortunately, you're not reading the Bible. That's if you continue to read, you're going to come across this. Maybe it's both. 
Maybe it's a couple of other things. Or maybe, unfortunately, you're just taking a detour. Do Christians ever take detours once in a while, spiritually? It happens, okay. But here's the good news. It doesn't have to stay that way, okay? Get back on track. Learn what it means to live in the Spirit. It's a whole different story. Let's continue on. How can I be filled or controlled with the Spirit? Again, we deal with the subject in which much confusion has been wrought over the past half century. Much of the confusion comes as a result of the fact that several times early in the book of Acts, the filling of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit took place at the same time. Okay? And uh, he gives a bunch of references there. Uh, but these uh, ministries are clearly distinguishable in the epistles. Let's take a look at the comparison of the two verses dealing with the two ministries uh, and the differences in them. Again, back to Ephesians 5.18. It says, Be not drunk, which will guide or control you with wine, for that's dissipation or wastefulness, but be continually allowing yourselves to be filled, guided or controlled with the Holy Spirit. Then, flip it around, 1 Corinthians 12.13, Paul says this, For by one Spirit we were all baptized, okay, and as the aorist tense, which indicates a finished action, a one-time event. So you're baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of the one spirit. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit deals with our identification in Christ. Let me break that down even more for you. Your, if you will, baptism being placed in Christ, baptism as uh, your spirit, is the moment you get saved. When you experience a true conversion, in Jesus Christ, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Again, as I already quoted, he becomes your deposit, your guarantee of the inheritance that we have to come. And then, then he's also in there beginning to teach you to walk and live in the sphere. So before you even get to heaven, by God's guarantee, your life begins to be more conformed to the image of Christ and he begins to use you to do great things for him, hopefully and prayerfully, which is our goal, to store up treasure in heaven, okay, not just here on earth. Okay, so baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you will, that happens the moment you get saved, Okay. Now let's continue on. That's your identification with Christ and his body. Whereas the filling, and remember what's the word there? Controlling of the spirit, okay? Uh, deals with the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the power uh, which such control gives us. Baptism, your next blank there, occurs at the point of salvation when we're united with Christ, whereas filling can occur many times. Now that's where it really gets confusing for a lot of people, unfortunately. Uh, people act like, and this is again why I belabor the point when it means to what is spirit filling slash control. Because there's some people that would say that uh, somehow you didn't receive all of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Yeah, you did. And they'll say, well, well how do you explain some people they've been saved for a while uh, and then all of a sudden later in life, all of a sudden, bang, man, they become this on fire Christian. Well, you got two possibilities, I would say scripturally. Number one, their profession of faith was just that, a profession. It was not a genuine possession. They never had the Spirit of God in the first place. I don't know the heart. Don't know that. Or, finally, this could happen, and unfortunately happens. Christians, you're truly born again, but you've never been taught this. You've never been taught what does it mean to live that victorious life in Jesus Christ, the victory he's already given us by the power of his Spirit, because nobody has taken the time to teach you how to walk, live, and keep in step with the Spirit. You have no idea how all this interplay works, and you're just doing things. Did anybody, when you first got saved, that when you got saved, that you just thought, okay, I need to start acting like a Christian? I did that for three years. I get all disgruntled, like, man, you go in your own strength and your own energy, and everybody's got their own different enthusiasm levels and strength levels, and, but then it just, you keep falling short. It's like, why? Why is it I read in the scripture, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but my, my life looks like it? Well, I, I, I don't want to be an instrument of wickedness 
uh, I want to be an instrument of righteousness. Why is there so much more of the wickedness? In the Until you realize it's not me. If I could live the Christian life in my own ability, why did Jesus need to go to the cross? It's the Spirit of God in us. And he's not there just as an engagement ring. Hey, get to heaven someday. He's there to begin to teach you this supernatural, awesome way of life where these supernatural, incredible things begin to take place called his fruit. It's awesome. But if you've never learned to do that, then literally, and then when you do, and time has uh, uh, perverse or gone over for a period of time, three years for me, all of a sudden, I remember, it was like, man, I feel like I'm born again again. And you can't. But you have that sensation because it's like, whoa, it's like somebody put some jet fuel in my walk with Jesus. And it wasn't because I was low on the spirit and I just, whoo, finally filled up that gas tank. Whew, made it to the gas station. Yeah, I found one. He was there the whole time. I just didn't know how all this worked. You ever met a Christian that when they got saved, man, they had it from the beginning and it still keeps going. You see what I'm saying? So that, it's that interplay of time in between that people get confused and they act like it's some sort of a second event. There is a second event, if you will, if it's like wanting to walk in the Spirit. But again, I belabor the point. It doesn't mean that you're getting more of the Holy Spirit. He was there the whole time. It's a, he's getting more of you now is where you're starting to experience the difference. All right, let's continue on. Let's take a look at this chart because I really think it helps out quite a bit. Difference between baptism, filling. And again, when you see filling there, scratch it out. Put the word control, Okay. Uh, and I really think it's going to help you stay on track. Baptism that occurs only once in a believer's life. The moment you get saved, bang, got the Spirit of God. You're baptized into Christ. Okay, filling or controlling, that's a repeated experience. Why? Because every single day you got this choice going on. Am I going to be controlled by this fear or am I going to be controlled by this fear? Okay, it's a repeated experience. Moment by moment, every single day. Uh, baptism uh, never happened uh, before Pentecost. We have a permanent indwelling now. The Holy Spirit, major difference in the Old Testament. But you did have this control of the Spirit uh, in the Old Testament. You see, again, you talk about, this is what blows me away, because we got the same Spirit of God, right? Okay, there's only one Spirit of God. Uh, uh, Samson. I love that story. It's a guy story. Rambo, eat your heart out. You can take your machine guns, M16s, all you want. Give me that jawbone and a thousand guys coming at me, the jawbone of the donkey, I'm taking you out. No bullets. Spirit of God in the Old Testament, at certain times, certain kings, certain prophets, and certain abilities like that, when he raised up the judges, that's a serious book of action. Okay, and they did some cool, massive things, right? Samson, Samson, what's he do? He goes, uh, uh, the gates of a city, rips them off with his bare hands. He wasn't sneaking up Byron with some, a set of uh, socket wrenches. No, he, went, he, he ripped him off, puts him over his head, and marches up the hill with him. Whoa. The Spirit of God. But see, this is what blows me away. God can do those things today. Now, me personally, um, I hope a thousand people aren't coming at me at one time trying to kill me. But I guess I have the assurance that uh, either that's the way God's going to call me home or I'm going to be looking real fast for uh, the jawbone of some sort of a land mammal <laughs> and start praying. But I know the Spirit of God can do it, okay? It's the supernatural thing. So it occurred over in the, in the New Testament. It's true of all believers, the baptism, because if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God, uh, the baptism. But uh, the filling you're controlling, not necessarily experienced by all believers. That's what we saw. What's unfortunate, you can be stuck in this sphere and you're looking just like the rest of the world. Okay, and that's just bad advertisement. It cannot be undone, the baptism, okay? Uh, but it can be lost, the filling or controlling. Why? Because you can be tricked into going back down into this sphere, can't you? In fact, it could be lost in a moment. You could have a half a day going great. 
The rest of the half goes down the tubes, doesn't it? It's, it can be lost, if you will, that fast. Okay, but just get back on track. Results in your position in Christ, safe and secure in His hands. The Spirit of God, again, to belabor the point, is God's promise ring. We're going to get there uh, to heaven. It's God's promise ring, not ours. It's our position, but it results in power. Okay, I gave you the, uh, the story of the guy who got punched in the head uh, with the car, Samson, uh, uh, all of them, David, all the, man, the mighty men of David. You ever read that in the Old Testament, what those guys did? Phew, man, that's incredible. But to, let me give you some uh, modern-day examples because I, I really want to understand this. This isn't just like, uh, as I said, oh, my day went pretty good, and uh, you know, it must have been the Spirit of God filling me with His joy. I'm talking supernatural things. I'll give you two quick uh, stories. David McAllister is a blind, 77-year-old ex-convict who 22 years ago kidnapped 10-year-old Chris Carrier, shot him, and left him for dead in the Florida Everglades. Although blinded in his left eye by the bullet, the boy survived. However, David McAllister, he escaped, and for more than two decades, the case went unsolved. That is, until last fall, when a distraught McAllister, his frail body bedridden in a Miami nursing home, confessed to the crime. And after learning of the confession, Carrier, now 32 years old, he goes and he visits McAllister in his nursing home. And you know what he did? He went and got the biggest M16, and he snuck in, no, wrong story. Uh, but Chris did not go. True story, this is true, guys. This is make-believe. Chris, a Christian, just like you and I, filled with the same spirit of God as we are, he did not go in anger and bitterness, but rather in obedience to God, he went to pray with his would-be murderer and share the good news of how Jesus transformed his own life. That's the spirit of God. And I draw that extreme thing because I think sometimes we, if you will, blame things on God when it's like, I don't, really? When we're talking the spirit of God is moving, amazing things take place. And we're going to flip it around here on the next page and find out why the Spirit of God isn't moving, doing amazing things, individually or even corporately. Let me give you one more story. Charlie Hainline is a layman at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He's a man who radiates the love of Christ and is serious about sharing his faith with others. One year, his goal was to serve God, one guy, to serve God by leading 1,650 people to faith in Christ, five a day. That's a good goal. Wouldn't that be cool? Once he was out witnessing with a couple other folks, and though he didn't get to share the gospel, he sat there and smiled as the teammate went with him, did. But when the teammate uh, was finished and he asked the person if they would like to trust Christ and receive the gift of eternal life, the person said, quote, if being a Christian would make me like him, and pointed to Charlie, I want it. Just sitting there, being controlled by the Spirit of God, drew a person to Christ. Because we all know that when we're witnessing to somebody, and uh, when we're around the world with our coworkers and family members, one of the best ways to attract people to Jesus is to live a life like this. <laughs> did you hear what they did? I got the joy, joy, joy. And I love that line. Where? Yeah, where is it? It ain't you. But here says, what you need to understand is that Charlie's life wasn't always full of joy nor a bed of roses by any means. Listen. His daughter was kidnapped, killed, and her head was found floating in a canal. And when the murder of his daughter was caught and convicted, Charlie went to jail in order to share the love of God with that man who chopped his daughter's head off. You cannot do that in your own strength, but you can do that by the Spirit of God. Why? Because Jesus said that you are to love your enemies. You are to pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who despitefully use you and insult you. 
We can't do that. I can't do that. But the Spirit of God can if we're controlled. But we'll never be controlled if we don't know how this whole thing works. He's there the whole time. Almost like it's like the, the great cosmic breakout. C- can I do something now? Can you get out of the way? Okay, let's continue on. Uh, it occurs when we believe in Christ. Baptism occurs uh, throughout the life of the Christian. The control, the feeling, no prerequisite of, except for obviously faith in Christ, but it depends on our yieldedness, the continual controlling the Spirit. But we still need to answer the question, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you controlled? Are there conditions that I must meet? And since there are really no conditions, must be met to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm, I see what he's saying, but I will add this. Yeah, you need to do this. Because if you do that, it ain't going to happen. Okay, so yeah, I'd say some conditions, if you will. Uh, We simply need to yield and obey. If we are walking in obedience to God's word, and dare I say, living in this sphere, okay, uh, we are allowing the spirit to control us. We are also never, is your blank there, exhorted to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I see what he's saying there, meaning that, oh no, I don't have all of the Holy Spirit, and I need to continue to pray and ask to get the rest of the Holy Spirit. If that's what we're praying, no, you don't. I, I will say a little caveat, though, in the context of how we've explained it, and I would say correctly, biblically, I don't think there's anything wrong with God. Would you please control me by your spirit today? Not asking more of the Holy Spirit because you already got him. But God, control me. I don't, please cause me to be an instrument of righteousness, not wickedness. I don't see anything wrong with that. Okay, so I'll, I'll do that distinguishing there. But since the command relates to a right relationship to the Holy Spirit, the, the conditions governing the relationship must have to do with the filling of the Spirit. There are several commands that relate to the believers being filled with the Spirit, and these include. Now, this is the negative side. So how do you, how do you uh, con- are controlled by the Spirit? I would say obedience, yieldedness, living in this sphere. Okay? How do you stop, if you will, the Holy Spirit from moving? Well, that's the first one. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The context of Ephesians 4.30 relates to exhortations concerning sin. Believers in that context there of do not grieve the Holy Spirit are warned not to lie, to not prolong anger, and not be bitter or unforgiving. When a believer does these things, he grieves the Holy Spirit. Sin, underline that. How do you stop the spirit-controlled life? How do you, ext- you stop? I mean, you're going one minute, man, and the spirit of God is moving. He's causing you to do supernatural things way above than just eating cold French fries. He's t- I'm talking, this is awesome. This is incredible. How do you stop? You grieve them. And the way you grieve them is with sin. You said, no, I'm going to start walking down here. And now you're under the control or influence of that. The world, your old nature, the sin nature, and the wicked enemy. You grieve them, which tells us the Holy Spirit is not some electrical force. You can't grieve electricity. Electricity can grieve you. Believe you me when you touch the wrong thing. Uh, but we do not grieve electricity, okay? He is a person uh, of the Trinity. Okay, uh, but sin will prevent the believer from being filled with the Spirit. Now, listen, can I tell you this from experience? That doesn't just happen individually. It happens corporately. Why is it not just, we get this individually, I think, I hope, that we don't experience the control of the Spirit, the Spirit of God doing amazing things individually in our lives? Well, because we grieve them because of sin. Okay, yeah, I get that one. The same thing happens corporately because of sin in the church. We are grieving the Spirit of God. 
And sin has to be dealt with, not just individually, but corporately. You see, we play these funny games. We act like God doesn't see or he doesn't hear or he can't see in the dark. Yes, he can. I can't see everything. You can't see everything, but God does. And again, we play that funny game and we come here and we put on a good show. But if we're continually filled with sin, it affects the church. It grieves the spirit of God when we come together. And not just individual, but how we treat each other. What's, what's he say there in the context? Don't lie. Don't prolong anger. Stop being so filled with bitter and stop being unforgiving. That means it takes two to do those. Knock it off. You're grieving the spirit of God. Oh God, and the hypocrisy that God must see. Oh, move, do great things, God. Oh, we want souls to be saved. We want you to just move and just, woo! Really? But you're grieving them. You refuse to reconcile. You're bitter. You're mad at each other let alone personal issues going on. Don't grieve. Second one is don't quench the Holy Spirit. That's another way you can, if you will, shut it off, so to speak. It, meaning the process, not he. He is a person, okay? as another thing. Uh, don't quench. Here's what he says. The context of this passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, relates to ministry. That's when we get together. The believer is exhorted to pray without ceasing, to be thankful, and not to despise prophetic utterances. When believers pour cold water on the fire of the ministry, they quench the spirit, okay? I'll give you one example. This was a spiritual warfare thing, but I think it was trying to quench the spirit too. I was in New York preaching on a Sunday, and I was preaching in a spiritual warfare series. And uh, I, I happened to get, it was, it was the one that I was dealing directly with how the enemy causes disruptions in a church. Shared a video clip uh, on that study of how Satanists go into churches and uh, they purposely interrupt, quench, they purposely interrupt when the uh, salvation message, when the, the altar call is given, they purposely disrupt so people will not go forward. They admit it. We don't want to believe it, but that happens. So I'm sitting there preaching on this stuff and I, I just get to the point where I'm talking about the enemy and disruptions and in, trying to mess up the flow and things of that nature. I kid you not, cell phones in mass, all over the congregation went off. It was the freakiest thing. Okay, and it was so obtuse. I mean, once in a while you'll get them, but in, like that, right on that point, no way. In fact, it was so obvious that right after service, Tons of people came up to me. I got phone calls the rest of the day. Pastor Billy, did you see that? Whoa, man, no way. I said, yeah, he's real, isn't he? Hello, wake up. It's not a game. Okay, after the, uh, continued on, because I learned a lesson in, in uh, Bible college, don't ever give the enemy attention. That's exactly what he wants. So I just kept on preaching. I don't care if you get a billion cell phones going. I ain't stopping, okay? You're not gonna get the time of day because that's what he wants, okay? And then so uh, next thing you know, everybody's finally got their cell phone shut off. Next thing you know, it was the creepiest thing, man. I'm up there. It was like somebody put matchsticks on everybody's feet. People were in the pews doing this thing. It was creepy. And I was like, like a, really, like a cat on a hot tin roof. And, I was like, oh, oh. and then people started, you know, every once in a while, unfortunately, you get people to get up and move and do whatever. But this is like, like the cell phone thing. People got up, get out of there, had to come in, going in. And it wasn't just going out. It was going in, coming out, coming in. It's like, come on, to quench the spirit of God, to try to host things up. Christians will do that, okay? Christians, mm. where do you start? <laughs> the Spirit of God is moving, and you do something, and it messes things up. What are you doing? Don't. 
The altar call is given. Get off your cell phone. You can feel the Spirit of God after His Word is being preached, and it's like, wow, i got to go to the bathroom. Can you wait five minutes? No, I'm serious. It just ta- it's like a little like a, a butterfly. It just takes for one little distraction. Not the Spirit, but people responding. Refrain. And that's just in the, if you will, innocent sense. Sometimes people can be mean. And do it on purpose. Other things to try to quench the spirit. Here's what he says. Uh, the spirit's ministry is not to be hindered. Christians should also not hinder others in their ministry of God. This is one of the classic. Please don't take this wrong. If you have an emergency, I, I'm, I'm not against you. Tell me. But uh, this one happens, uh, unfortunately. I don't know if it's really happened here. But in the past, it just seemed like it's almost like, man, come on. You're just waiting for it to happen again. Five seconds before you get up there to preach the word. Five seconds. Somebody unloads this on you. Pastor Billy, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know you're getting ready to get up there, but I uh, just want to let you know uh, I'm divorcing my wife and I'm having an affair and, and uh, can we talk about it later? Dude, you, you've known this for a week. You could have called me any time during the week. And it's not that I don't, I'm not concerned. I'm really concerned now, but <laughs> I'm getting ready to preach the word of God. You dropped that bomb on me. What are you doing? What? And please don't mistake me. Don't get me wrong, but it's just things like that. Or have you guys ever been part of ministry and stuff and somebody does something or just wrenches your attention or now your focus is all, ah. careful. Yeah, Pastor Jim, you probably got some stories. But we've all experienced that. You're totally focused, ready to go, man. Something. New. Okay? And sometimes, dare I say, People can be nasty. They do it on purpose, okay? I'm not saying with that case necessarily. Uh, Dr. Walvrud states that quenching the spirit is used here in metaphorical sense, meaning that it's to uh, suppress or stifle. Therefore, quenching in the sense of resisting or opposing his will. Quenching the spirit may be simply defined as being unyielded to him or just flat out saying no. So when this, that's why I've said it before, because a guy that I sat under, you say it all the time, Pastor Bill, be obedient and be blessed. If the Spirit of God is convicting you, respond, be blessed. But when you say, no, because I don't want to do it publicly. No, because I don't want people to know. I've got this good facade going on. I look great on Sunday mornings, man. You're quenching the Spirit with you individually. Okay, is what he says. Uh, the issue is therefore the question of willingness to do as well. And finally, walk by the Spirit. And I'm not going to believe that too much because we've already dealt with that extensively in the study. Is that walk means to conduct one's life rather uh, than living in the sphere or under the domination of the old nature. Believers are exhorted to conduct their lives in the sphere of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's this sphere right here, the circle that we've drawn down. Other conditions that are sometimes added to the above are confession of sin. We've talked about that before. Hey, get in a good habit. Don't wait till the end of the day. Nine times out of 10, you're gonna forget it anyway. If the Spirit of God is convicting you, bang right then and there. I don't care if you're driving down the road or you're at work. Hey, go get some private time. Go to the bathroom or something. Get on your knees before the Lord. You used to do that all the time in secular, uh, when it's going to Bible college, working uh, during the day. And, and, and get it right with God. And then get up and get moving forward. Don't wait. Don't pile it up. If he's, if he's prompting you, confess the sin, get it out. And then keep moving forward and be in control with the Spirit again. Don't hold that stuff in. It's crazy. Or dedication to the believer of God. Has there ever come a point in time when you didn't just say, yes, Jesus, I entrust my eternal destiny on your work on the cross and I'm so thankful for you doing that. 
I hope this happened at salvation, but it never has. Has there ever come a point when you said, now Jesus, I dedicate the rest of this time here on earth for you? That's important if you've never done that. Okay, however, it can be argued, they're subordinate factors, etc. blah, blah, blah. So the results of the filling at the top of page 103 of the spirit-filled or controlled life for the Christian is not a problem-free life, as should be evident by the studying the lives of the great saints in the past. Did Paul ever have some problems? Uh, yeah, come on. Okay, and on the other hand, though, a Christ-like character is revealed in that our lives will produce the fruit of the spirit in contrast to the deeds of the flesh. And again, dare I say, supernaturally so, as we gave examples biblically and also uh, with the two gentlemen from Florida. Which, by the way, how many guys made a note in your book, don't go to Florida? Anyway, whatever. Uh, in contrast to the deeds of the flesh, spirit-filled Christian is also exhibit a life of service. Hey, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. I'm controlled by the spirit of God. Ha, 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 ha. No, maybe, uh, I, I know I can't help out. Uh, Really? You're controlled by the Spirit. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And we have the Spirit of Christ within us, the Holy Spirit, but we don't serve. And yet you tell me you're a Spirit-controlled Christian. Uh-uh. Okay, that's what he's saying. That's also a life of service. Additionally, believers will be receptive to the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, you're going to exhibit joy. You're going to exhibit unity and thankfulness in the assembly. That's in the church. You're going to be unified and discerning in ministry, and you're going to show dedication to God and nonconformity to the world. This is the growing experience of someone controlled by the Spirit, the wonderful Spirit-filled slash controlled life. That's how we become mature godly disciples for Jesus Christ. That's how we maximize our time here on earth. I don't know about you, but I remember it dawned on me one day in Bible college, everybody wants the book of Acts experience, but nobody wants to act on it. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever gotten that point in your walk with Jesus Christ, I love Christian history. I love reading testimonies of people, God doing amazing things, and through that person back then and there. And, but you get like the one guy who had said, he says, you know what, do you ever get to the point, Christian, where you're so sick and tired of hearing about somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody at one point in some time in church history who did something fabulous for God? And he says this, and I'll echo it. Don't you want to be that person? Don't you want to be that church? It happens when every single one of us, myself included, becomes spirit-controlled. That's when God begins to do great things. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows he knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart 
to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. E for instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. 
That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.